0: I'm not going to run any ads this week because I'm thinking of this one as a public service announcement. Today's episode, it is episode 52 of the Juicebox podcast. It is with Dr. Carla Greenbaum from Diabetes TrialNet, and TrialNet is, it's important work. It is research looking for a cure for type 1 diabetes. It's also research looking for a lot of things that you would be interested in. Excuse me. Do re mi fa so. That's something got there. Anyway, <clears throat> goodness. If you've ever heard of TrialNet, listen to this because it's a more complete explanation than you've ever got. If you've never heard of TrialNet, listen to this because then you're going to understand. I mean, this is the practice of looking for antibodies in the the extended families of people who have type one diabetes, so that researchers can find ways to slow down, stop. Um, regenerate beta cells I mean this is this is really important work but because of the nature of privacy laws they can't come find you you have to go find them and you know that's not easy to accomplish so I have put this episode together to help trialnet get the word out about trialnet you have to listen because I command you to listen also because there's no ads go to Amazon and buy my book I mean do a guy a solid right Life is short, laundry is eternal, confessions of a stay-at-home dad. Read the reviews. You're going to read them and you're going to be like, either this guy paid for every one of these reviews or I got to buy this book. And trust me, I don't make enough money with a podcast to pay for reviews. God, well, that would be pathetic. Wouldn't it? It would be. I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. Just write a decent book. All right. Dr. Carla Greenbaum, diabetes trial net. I compel you to listen. I mean... Listen to my deep voice. Tell you to listen because... All right, I'm out of stuff. I don't know what to do. I'm dizzy. You hear that dog in the background? Seriously? All right, it's unbelievable. All right, Dr. Green Mom, here she comes. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about TrialNet?
1: Sure.
2: So, my name is Dr. Carla. I'm an endocrinologist and I direct the diabetes program at the Benaroya Research Center here in Seattle, Washington. But my role that I'm uh, talking to you about is really my role as the chair of Diabetes TrialNet. TrialNet is an international NIH, that is your tax dollars, funded uh, research network with the big-picture aim to see if we can prevent or stop the progression of type 1 diabetes. So, it's a large international network. There are um, hundreds of sites, both in North America, Europe, and in Australia and New Zealand. I always want to make sure I mention that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, collaboratively working together, we're trying to identify people who are potentially at risk of getting diabetes and see what we can do
0: to slow or stop the disease. Okay, and the way you go about doing that is is fairly simple, but not so much, right? So you, you <laughs> need... <laughs> isn't it funny? Uh, and so you need to be able to do blood tests on people who are related to people with type 1?
2: Yeah, so Scott, it's an interesting... Um conundrum for patients, right? So when somebody's diagnosed with diabetes, the vast majority of them have no family member who has had diabetes. Right. And so it seems to have come out of the blue. But in fact, everybody who has diabetes has genetic risk for getting the disease. That was sort of the platform by which the disease developed. Mm -hmm. So instead of screening or testing people first for their genetic risk, when we're looking for people who might be developing diabetes, we use a cheap genetic test, which is to say we test family members because they must share genes. So by testing the family members, we can identify people who are at higher risk because unfortunately, once you have type one diabetes in your family, the rest of the family members have a fifty times increased risk as compared to people who didn't have diabetes in their family. And
0: you just you just kicked out for just a second there. What was the what was the multiplier?
2: Fifteen. 15, 15, times. fifteen. One five. So so if you know, it's still not a common disease. In the sense that only about three out of a hundred people get type one diabetes. But once you have a family member at risk you're fifteen times greater than that.
0: Okay. I see. And so you
2: test family.
0: And yeah. and so that's why you test family members, but it also you, you need people to come to you.
2: So the, the cool thing about this is that we're trying to make these tests and participation and research as easy as possible for mm-hmm. families to participate. So if you happen to be located near a trial net site, which as I mentioned, there are hundreds in North America and other places, then you can go into those sites. Alternatively, you can sign up online or you can have a conversation with somebody at one of the sites who could then mail you a kit. And you could go in and get your blood drawn at a local laboratory or a local doctor's office. They're trying to make it easy for people.
0: Yeah, and, and so that and so that's it. They either go and and what a local site could mean. It might be, it might be my endo office. It might just be. Like a like a quest like a diagnostic lab that does blood draws, it, it, it's anywhere, right? Anywhere you've been able to exactly. set it up.
1: Okay, exactly.
2: And so, in fact, we have a contract set up with Quest. So, if we um, once you you have to get consent first, so we have to talk to you about the study. You have to understand what you're getting involved in first. But mm-hmm. so once you do that, you could then walk into the Quest site and they could just take care of it for you. So that is uh, the plan that we like to do. So,
0: while we're talking about it, you know, it, it occurs to me that you're asking people who are probably are already more taxed than the average person to begin with in their life. But, but I want them to understand why it's important for them to, to participate if they can. And, and I guess there's, sure. in my mind, there's like two, there's two components to this. It, there's, there's the research and what you're trying to accomplish, slowing down type one after somebody has been diagnosed, you know, and, 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 and those ideas, And there's also the idea that if you have um, a sibling, for instance, of a child with type 1, you can identify whether or not they have markers that might might tell you that they are going to or have a very good likelihood of getting type 1 diabetes at some point in their future. And then there are things that they can do to prolong that amount of time before it happens. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, you've said it very well. I I would just restate it briefly in the sense that we would like to have people who are relatives tested, so we can identify those people at risk and there's a couple of reasons why that's good for people to participate, obviously, the whole goal is to find people who are at risk to see whether we can give them a therapy to delay or prevent their getting diabetes Okay one of the things we know now that we didn't know as recently as a few years ago is that when we do test and we get certain markers called antibodies present in the blood, that tells us with high predictive value, in other words, we have a high likelihood of who's going to get diabetes, and that gives us the opportunity to say, can we slow or stop that process in people?
1: Okay. Um,
0: and so, so not only might you get, and, and this is really, this is really people I think fall on, in two different ways kind of camps on this. I, and I've spoken to people who are, you know, we were one of them we, as soon as we found out about TrialNet, we took our son who doesn't have type one to be, to be tested. And, and for us, it, it felt nice to know that he didn't at the time have those markers, but I've talked to other people just very recently, a couple episodes back in the podcast, you know, like there's a guy who plays outfield for the Oakland athletics and he's got a bunch of kids and he doesn't want to know if they have the markers. And and so I think you fall in those camps. Can I? So my question to you here is, can people bring their children, have them tested to help your study, but not get the answer, if that's something they wanted?
2: Mm, that's an interesting question. Maybe I can phrase it a little bit differently.
1: Okay, please. So,
2: first of all, they totally understand that participating in research is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And though, obviously, that's what we would like people to do. We think a bigger question is to make sure everybody knows that that kind of research is available. So your, your outfielder can make the decision for their family whether to participate, but they should know that the risk is greater, um, and this is a free opportunity for them to understand their risk.
1: To find that out. The other
2: thing I think that the people underappreciate, and, and we know this from quite a bit of work, is you know, if you have one child with diabetes, the other child may not be saying, gee, I wonder if I'm going to get diabetes as well, but we know they're thinking about it. Okay. So by, you know, some parents are concerned about, oh, I don't want to worry my child. I don't want to bring them in and have them be concerned about it the way they are. You can be sure that most children, they are thinking about it. And so this opens a frank uh, dialogue with children that can often be very helpful.
1: So I
0: have to admit that, as you're saying that, that makes a lot of sense to me because you know we we very naturally had that conversation with our our son who's not. Hey, it's Scott, I just gotta break in here for a quick second. Uh, for some reason, every time I t- I tried to speak with Carla, um, and I had to try a couple times because of technical difficulties, no lie. Indy and Basil are dogs. We get into some sort of a skirmish together, so I'm now doing my best to edit out that skirmish. But if you hear like dogs like trying to kill each other, they weren't really trying to kill each other; they just seemed annoyed by each other. Anyway, I'm trying to edit around it. Please hang in there; it won't be bad and it won't be obtrusive. But if you hear a dog, you know, bark out of nowhere, I was unable to edit it out. Um, and oh my gosh, and and at the same time you know, we noticed what you were saying, which is he did wonder, but not, you know, he's a younger kid. He wasn't wondering on the level I was wondering on, but it was in his mind. And I think the conversation and actually getting the test and finding out he didn't have the markers I've seen now since then, there's completely, you know, whether it's reasonable or not, he doesn't have that anxiety anymore. And, you know, I'm not saying he can't develop type one down the road, but I'm saying that in the moment he is living in a situation where he doesn't feel that anxiety.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the flip side, if unfortunately your child or another is found to have the markers, right? right. So, found to be at risk, surely getting that information can be stressful for everybody. But all we're doing is letting you know, empowering the family with that information. Not knowing is like putting your head in the sand right? Yeah. So, obviously, if you wait until your child is diagnosed, as people are typically diagnosed, um, I don't know your, the story of your um, son, a little, of your daughter, right, with diabetes? Yes. We we'll talked about it a little bit. I think you have an online link with that story. It's a pretty traumatic experience for you um, and for her. And I think for most people when they're diagnosed with diabetes, you know, the blood sugars are quite high and they're quite sick and Uh, many times have to be hospitalized to take care of that. If you're in a study and you find out that you're at risk, we follow people carefully. Mm -hmm. And we can virtually eliminate people having ketoacidosis, for example, or very severe symptoms when they're first diagnosed. So that's a benefit for people, even if they decide not to be in a trial to see if we can slow or delay it by monitoring people and watching over time.
0: That's such a great point because as as I'm I'm thinking about how I people I hear people talk about it all the time, it usually is more of the emotional way. The, you know, I don't want to live with that knowledge or live without like that. That's the conversation I hear most in the public. But we, the point you're making is, is so incredibly valid is that my daughter, w- you know, we were told that my daughter was hours away from going into a coma and we just dumb luck figured out that she had type one and took her to the hospital. And so and so I, I, as I look back on that moment and I think about the story of her diagnosis in that day, it really, you know, if that was going to then happen to another child of mine, I would much rather be going to, you know, doctor's appointments, periodic doctor's appointments to check on his, you know, on his, I guess, on his progress, which is, seems like the wrong word, but his, but, but his, his, you know, his I guess it's moving
1: along. Isn't it funny?
0: Yeah. Well, isn't it funny? Progress is not the right word at all. Yeah. You but, don't
1: but,
0: want to use that word progress. <laughs> right. but, but how. how? Yeah. yeah. He, so he's progressing towards having diabetes and at some point someone can raise the flag and say, okay, you know what? Now's the time we're going to start testing at home, you know, and getting prepared. You know, it, it, it might seem like overkill to somebody, but if, for someone who like me, who's lived through a diagnosis that was a surprise, that honestly sounds rather pleasant and, um and 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 much more preferable than than what I live through that's for certain
2: yeah so that's that's a yeah very important reason why people can participate and again, like your friend who is well potentially your question about can you participate and not know the results you right. know does that help research you know really, we wouldn't do that because. Okay. At the end of the day, this is all about the individuals and the individual families. We're not interested in data points That's itself. This is all about the patients and their participation.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I guess I would say to people listening then, if you, if you feel uneasy about it, it's understandable, but understand that Dr. Greenbaum has a, has a perspective on a side of this that, that you might be living without, and she's, she's seeing it every day, helping people and and maybe take the leap and, and know that that is, help, that is
1: important.
2: Yes, that, you phrased that quite well. Um, and, you know, I think that many of the participating sites in TrialNet have investigators and coordinators, you know, study researchers who have been doing this type of work for a very long time mm-hmm. and are really there to listen and have a dialogue with you. No one's going to be unhappy about whether you decide to participate or not, but we really... Understand that it's an emotional and difficult decision many times. I'm
0: trying people. to find out. So, so, can what's the best way for me to do this? Like, now I, I always imagined it was just you go to your endo, but that turns out that my endo just is a trial net location. So, the best way is to go online to find out?
1: Yeah,
2: you could easily go to diabetestrialnet.org mm-hmm. um, and you can get the list of sites or the contact information in that way. And um, there's even an opportunity to you're consenting online, but if you'd rather end up talking to people, um, then all that information is there. So that's the easiest way to do it.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll put you know, links together a, with everything.
2: Um, yeah. I'm sorry.
0: No, I was just going to say, I'm going to make sure to put links in the show notes and at the blog okay. post about it so people can go okay. find it that way and they don't have to be yeah. writing while they're driving or vacuuming sure. or whatever they're doing <laughs> yeah. right now.
2: We're, we're also interested in, we're happy here at the Benaroya to handle questions and emails from people directly. And that's just, diabetes at benaroyaresearch.org, okay. uh, email
0: address. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll include that too then, that's, that's wonderful. I So now, I you know, from my own experience, I know what we did was we made an appointment along with my daughter's endo appointment, my son came along, he got the test at the same time. But you're, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you guys are working towards this test being an at-home test, and I was wondering what that process hopes to look like and how close you are to it.
2: Yeah. Great. Thanks for asking for that. As you indicated before, we totally recognize the amount of burden of families living with diabetes now and trying to do whatever we can to make it easier for people to participate. So this past fall, we started testing uh, basically a home test where Mm. people could, after um, contacting us and going through a consent process, we would give them a kit where they would do a finger stick at home on the person that needed to be tested, and um, put that in a tube and mail that back to us. Now, the preliminary results of that look promising, and we really do hope to make that widely available in the future. It, you know, there's a couple of advantages for that. I think what we're hearing from families when we ask them, the most important advantage is you don't have to get in the car and get something bring sure, sure. your child or your other family member in to get tested. You could do it at home. It's important for people to realize this is not the finger stick you do for blood glucose where there's very small quantities of blood involved. We do need like the old-fashioned blood glucose checks where you need a bit of more blood. But nonetheless, it looks like it's something going to be quite effective, and we really hope to be able to offer that yeah. not too far.
1: Yeah, I, would,
0: assu- I would assume that would really expand your reach and, and, and allow you to, to get to more people. So I'm I'm excited yeah, to hear think, about that.
2: Yeah, Thank you for for uh, mentioning that. You know, I, I think the the other thing, you know, we've been talking a lot about the other children and the other sibling. It's important to recognize that type 1 diabetes can happen in adulthood as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so many people will say, well, I'll get my other child tested if I have a child with diabetes. But it's important to recognize that the rest of the family should be tested as well. So the parents, if they're under age 45, remain at risk, right. as well as what we call secondary relatives so that's cousins and nieces and nephews oh no so it's not just get your sibling tested it's really your extended
0: family oh that makes a lot of sense actually it's funny you, it's funny how you, how personally centric you become in this situation when you're on the other side of it you're worried about your <laughs> you know, you're worried about your kids you don't even think about yourself and 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 let alone other people but then that makes complete sense because um you know as you said there's you not often that you find multiple type ones, but in, as we researched a little more, we realized that the female side of my wife's family all have different endocrine issues even and mm-hmm. and not necessarily type one. So it, it makes a ton of sense for, for nieces and, and nephews and things like that to be, yeah. um, to be checked on. That's excellent. Um, can, can I ask you like personally, how did you, I know you're an endocrinologist, but how did you get involved with this specifically? Was there a personal reason that got it to you, or how
2: did you make it to no, this position? Well, it really wasn't a personal reason. I think um, I ended up doing my Endocrine Fellowship as one of the uh, leading investigators in this area, who was actually one of the first people to describe one of the antibodies, one of those markers that we test for I people see. for risk for diabetes. So it was a pretty exciting time when we were first learning that prior to getting clinical disease we can detect these markers in people's blood. So it was a brand new and exciting field. And even to date, it's interesting to know that in type 1 diabetes, unlike other autoimmune diseases, we we are pretty good at this, right? We know who's at risk and we can track and follow people. Some of the other autoimmune diseases are just starting to test that now. So you can also, for example, in people who have rheumatoid arthritis or other diseases, um, can find some of these markers before they're diagnosed. Wow, but I started it primarily because I had the good fortune to uh, be assigned to Dr. Palmer when I first started working, and uh, it was exciting work. Yeah. We did we did something called the Seattle Family Study, where we in re- those very early days we asked people who had family members to come in, and we're going to measure everything we can think of measuring, so we could figure out what that risk uh, and how to determine risk. Now, that was the 80s, (laughs) so it's been a long time, (laughs) Um, but we've made a lot of progress during that time because we now can say things much more clearly um, about people's risk. So, for example, we now know that diabetes actually starts when you have two or more of these markers, antibodies. That is, stage one of diabetes is long before anybody has any symptoms and they're feeling fine. And we now know that virtually everybody who has two or more antibodies will get diabetes. It's just a question of when.
0: And it's specifically and type really one, is that right?
2: Yes, this is type one right, diabetes, right, right. exactly.
0: And, and now,
1: go ahead.
2: You know, if, if you do have two or more antibodies, and as I mentioned, don't know exactly when the disease will develop, but we do know it's more rapid in children.
0: And now an awkward edit because I had to, you know, take out dogs going.
1: Rowf, rowf.
0: Anyway, back to it. I would see if my other kids blank blank blank. I never, even though I know that the the research is hopeful for other ideas, you know, and it's not. It never hits me that that's why I was doing it. And so I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to bring it up so that that people think about it like that. It is going to help you, but it's also going to do these other things. And um, and then and it just makes it more worthwhile, I think, of your time when you recognize the bigger picture. So, you, but please, what else did you want to say? I, I'd love to hear. No,
1: yeah, I wanted to say,
2: so you know, a way like to link it even further to the bigger picture. When we talk about trying to see if we can slow or prevent a clinical disease, what are we really doing? We're really trying therapies to save the beta cells, right? The insulin-producing cells that are still there. Mm-hmm. And what we've been mostly focusing on is therapies to save the beta cells at those early stages of disease before people have symptoms. But we also do studies trying to save the beta cells when people are recently diagnosed. So we have a couple of studies then as well. So this is now not talking about family members, but actually somebody who's been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in the recent past I'm okay. um, also is potentially eligible to be in a trial with the same idea. Can we slow further progression? That is, can we slow destruction of the beta cells? We want to save the cells that are there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and is the hope, is the hope that you could live partially without insulin in that situation or just prolong the amount of time before you would need insulin or keep them chugging along till some other therapies come, or is it a little bit of all that?
2: And pretty much now what we're really focusing on is saying, can we save more of your insulin producing cells? Mm-hmm. Because we know that after you're clinically diagnosed, you continue to lose insulin producing cells. And that accounts for why people, for example, go into the honeymoon period of time. Right. But over time, your body is losing its ability to make its own insulin. Mm-hmm. So if we can preserve some of those cells, even if we can't make the diabetes go away, and we can't keep you from stopping um, having to check your blood glucose and taking insulin. We can make it easier to manage so we know from other studies that people who are making more of their own insulin do better. They have less hypoglycemia, they have less other complications. Um, So, again, it's when we're trying to save beta cells here, sure, ideally we would like to make the whole disease go away. But at that later stage in disease, our goal is to say, can we save what's left? Because it will make your diabetes easier to take care of, and would hopefully lead to less problems down the road. Right, and
0: and, and that is something too that at diagnosis is it, it's such a it's such a big boogeyman. The idea of of problems in the future, you don't think of it as specifically as as it exists. I think I think it's just this one big specter. Um, but you know. It's a, it's an amazing well, it's idea to think that you could limit or or slow down any of those things.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's important to keep in mind that people diagnosed with diabetes in 2016, the many will never, ever see any complication from having the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been tremendous advances in helping with that. So I think that's important to keep the perspective. Yeah. But nonetheless, keeping more beta cells makes everything easier for people with diabetes. and. And importantly, as you know, there's a whole lot of parallel research where people are trying to find new beta cells to put into people, right? right?
0: Yeah, we talk You're about being en- encapsulation a lot um, as, being, as being something that feels very possible.
2: Well, whatever way we find to give back the insulin-producing cells, we still have to stop the immune system from destroying them.
1: To begin with, yeah.
2: Right. there's the idea that encapsulation might do that. We don't know. It's still in very early stages. But even all the other um, new publicity about ways people are taking stem cells and making beta cells will require ways to keep the immune system at bay. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about trial is all about saving beta cells, that really is applicable not just to the people we're studying who don't yet have diabetes or recently diagnosed, but those therapies It'd be applied to people who were getting new beta cells someday and who have had diabetes for a long period of time.
0: Oh, well that's, that's so, i never considered that. And that is, that's insanely interesting. And, and, and so there's applications for what you're doing that I have not considered. And probably a lot of people who are considering being involved in trial net aren't considering either. Yeah. Um, and I'm just learning that from talking to you because that's not, it makes complete sense. And now that I'm thinking about the way you're saying it, I, Completely understand, and yet I don't think it ever would have occurred to me that 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 what you're learning could be used in that situation too. And 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 that situation is, you know, that's one of those things I think everyone's hoping for. It's you know, when when you, I guess when you say the word cure, it's not many of us like it's not many lay people who then put a face to what that means. You, you mm-hmm. know, and and it, and it's just I think there's a, I think there might be just a, it's sort of, I don't know how to put it exactly, but when you say cure to somebody, you know, for certain that in their mind, there's a picture of like this big Bugs Bunny needle that's going to pump, you know, you know what I mean? It'll pump the cure in and then you'll be fine. Or it's, a it's you know, because who really thinks about it beyond that? You know, what does to cure something mean? We were talking, my wife and I recently, and I said, what's the last thing that's been cured? You know? And First of all, it's not many things that have been cured, and the last thing was certainly a long time ago. You know, but if you said to me, you know, what, what, think of something that's been cured, I guess I would say, well, okay, I guess polio. And then, you know, and but was polio cured or was it just stopped? And then you realize that your historical knowledge of it is completely, you know, <laughs> it's it's light at at best, and and you don't even know what it is you're hoping for when you say, I hope my kid's cured of type one diabetes. But what you're saying is, is that what that means is those beta cells either being woken up, you know, and regenerated or replaced and finding a way to stop the immune system from doing what it did the first time. That That's a key. Exactly. Yeah.
2: That's biologically what we're looking for now. Clinically, I suspect it'll be multiple steps. It might be first we'll, we'll have enough of those cells surviving for a long enough period of time so people don't worry about getting, severe hypoglycemia, mm-hmm. which, of course, is a major issue. Yeah. So and that could be step one. Um, step two could be uh, that we ser- preserve enough beta cells that you only have to take boluses with meals. You don't have to take any other time, for example. In other words, I don't anticipate the biology, the first cure is going to be a complete cure. Um, but we can certainly make great strides to making it much easier to manage, and those are steps towards continuing to get to the the Bugs the bug Bunny needle where it's all done once you get this
0: a li- a light switch uh, fix yeah we're banging it's, it's right, done right. so I exactly. I don't want to be a bummer but I have a question that just popped into my head and it occurs to me you might be the right person to ask as a as a person who is a researcher if if you were doing research right now towards like you are and let's say smart insulin is designed that really works, turns on when it feels carbs, turns off when it's not there. Do you think you'd feel the pull that you feel right now towards what you're trying to accomplish, or do you think something like that would make it not feel as dire? That's a great question, and obviously the
2: decision – will be people living with diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. But I can tell you from my perspective, the answer is all of the above. I'll I'll give you an analogy, so just stick with me because it's better with pictures, but hopefully I can explain. So there is a disease called juvenile idiopathic arthritis, which is basically a type of rheumatic arthritis, rheumatic disease in children. Mm -hmm. And for many years... Um, there were great improvements in treating these children to control their pain and their disability in a way that you know, you'd get better and better pain medications and you'd get better, you know, wheelchairs and better crutches and better other tools to help these disabled children, you know, navigate through life. And having those better tools was certainly better than before they had them, right? right? but they now have what we call disease-modifying therapy. So they receive therapies now that actually change the course of the disease. So they're not treating the pain and the disability. They're making the disease itself go away, right, or be reduced. They're right. not completely cured. It's not one shot. It's a chronic therapy, but it completely transformed it. They're not treating the symptoms of the disease. They're treating the disease. So the analogy in diabetes here is You know, the wonderful news is there's a lot of advancements in whether it's artificial pancreas systems or even just better um, ways of delivering insulin or measuring glucose. Of course, tremendous advances. And, you know, we look forward to things like smart insulin. But what is that doing? That's treating the symptoms of the disease. You're treating the glucose. You're not really fundamentally treating the disease. So I would say personally, and I suspect other researchers would stay very much committed to the idea of changing the course of disease or stopping it altogether, um, even though we applaud other people doing things to make it better for people actually living with the disease now.
0: It's funny because the question popped into my head based on, there's a certain segment of, of the population with type 1 diabetes who believes very passionately, you know, in the the idea that this research isn't real there's too much money in keeping people on insulin that that sort of thing and so I just thought it would be very interesting to hear from a person who is a researcher and who has been at it for you know a very long time if there would be something in your mind that would take away your enthusiasm or not and 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 that seemed like the that seems like the closest thing that might be coming in the number, next handful of years that, that to me would obviously very much lessen the day-to-day struggle of of diabetes. If I didn't have to worry about my daughter getting low or high, well, this whole thing changes greatly then. You, oh, absolutely. You, you, yeah, and so... Absolutely,
2: and I think that's perfect, but I don't think that would stop researchers or families, for example, um, being interested to say, well, how about if we just make it so she'd never have to take any insulin? At all,
0: yeah. No, I agree. Right. I completely agree with you. I was just, I was just really interested in your answer because... Yeah. Because I I I feel badly when you hear people say things like oh no one's trying to help us because someone's making money and I don't believe that at all honestly I yeah. I can't keep a secret in my house you, you know I I can't imagine that someone's cured type one diabetes and put the put the formula in a drawer and won't let anybody know about it you, you know and and, and that sort of an idea
2: you know I think these kind of dialogues between people who are doing research and people living with diabetes and their family members. It's important, you know. We want to be transparent and open. We want to be honest with people. Um, it's a frustrating and difficult and slow process. Unfortunately, do- biology is complicated. I, I realize it sounds almost trite, but it's not because people aren't working day and night. Um, and I can assure with you that many people, not myself, but many people who are in this field, they have diabetes themselves or they have family members with diabetes. So it hits home for everybody. For certain, yeah. Um, in a way that, you know, makes
0: it a very powerful um, activity that we want to do. Yeah, I, I completely, I mean, and to your point, I, I think just getting to talk to you now and getting to know you is even better because, for, for people, because I'm going to admit that I felt like I knew a, a, a fair amount about what TrialNet was. And then just as you're speaking, you just keep saying things and I'm like, oh, I never considered that. I never considered that. You know, you know, and I, I, I'm glad to let people put a voice, you know, a virtual face to to what you're doing because... Sometimes it just does all seem very cold, you know. You know, and 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 mm-hmm. it's a shame because because you're obviously a very warm and concerned person, and and it's nice to hear that come through. And and I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk. Am I not asking you anything that you'd like to say?
2: No, well, I think you've you've got um, everything. I I guess I would just like to reflect back. One comment is that um we really rely on people like yourself who. You know, really has a way to be contacting you know, people and having dialogue with people and understanding. It helps us as researchers understand what are the concerns and issues that people are thinking about, as well as, of course, getting the information out there. So we highly value you, know, you taking the time to uh, meet with me today and, and going over this and the other things you've done to really help
0: well, it's people absolute. understand. Please. First of all, it's absolutely my pleasure. I would like to advocate to the um, to the NIH right now that they they carve out a hundred dollars from the budget and buy you a better phone Uh, that I'm I'm all for that. And people people will never know that you and I had to speak twice to get this accomplished. and (laughs) But, uh, well, you know, Dr. Greenbaum said she's out. She's in Seattle, right, is where you said you were. But that's not true. She's actually on Mars, and it's very, it's very hard for her to get a (laughs) line uh, out that that anyone can hear. Uh, But, but, but seriously, I mean, honestly, seriously, I'd like to see them buy another phone. But (laughs) you're you're doing important work. You should not sound like. I'm too lame
2: to figure out. I have, if I could send you an image here, right? I have four different connections to talk to people <laughs> and I probably just didn't hit
0: the right button <laughs> <laughs> well listen, don't don't admit to be, not being very technically adept and saying that you're trying to do uh, research <laughs> okay,
2: okay, I'm sharing sure diabetes but I'm not a, don't do anything with electronics
0: I had, I I had just research. recently, I spoke to Je- uh, Jeffrey Brewer who is a former uh, CEO of, of JDRF and now works at, at Bigfoot Biomedical and, and the first thing he said to me was you know, once I figured out to push this mute button I was all <laughs> So I said, "Don't tell people that, Jeffrey. Before you're trying to tell them that you're building a, an artificial pancreas, it doesn't sound like you know what you're talking about." So, but n- but nevertheless, yeah, so I, it, it is anyway. just super kind of you to come on and do this, and and I really, I'm so interested in getting the information out there that I might actually slip in your episode very soon in like an, as an in between, so it, so it it, it gets. Perfect. I don't. It doesn't have to wait through the process of of all the ones that I have recorded ahead of this one. So um, yeah. well, I just... Thank you
2: very much no. for the acoustic problem. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like I said, it might be fun to periodically check back
0: in. Yeah, that, okay, would, that would be great. And I'm going to tell the people listening right now, I'm going to put a link to TrialNet in the show notes, and I'm going to put a tracker on it so I can see how many of you clicked on it. I, everyone who downloads this and listens to it, I want to see click on this just to learn more. You know, you don't have to awesome. absolutely do it, but I would love for people to, uh, to, uh, to just take a couple minutes for themselves and and try to figure out if it's something they'd want to be involved in or not. And and thank you so much for coming on. All right. Goodbye. Carla. have a great day. Huge thank you to Dr. Carla Greenbaum, the very newly appointed chair of Type 1 Diabetes Trial Net. And listen, this is it. Remember, I didn't put any ads on this show, nothing, because I do think Trial Net's important and I wanted you to really be able to focus on it. Trialnet.org. T-R-I-A-L-N-E-T dot O-R-G and links in the show notes and on juiceboxpodcast.com. Learn more, get involved, do it for yourself, do it for the community, do it for a cure. I don't know, do it because I asked you to. If you want to. If you don't, you know what they say. Do whatever you want. I, I mean, I can't force you to. I'm not in charge of you. But I, I hope that the um, the information that Dr. Greenbaum uh, gave us today in the conversation we had at least makes you consider learning more clicking on the link and and trying to figure out if this is right for you and your family one last thing what am i gonna say what am i gonna say what am i gonna say come on guess nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice medical or otherwise always consult a physician when making changes to your blah
1: blah 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 blah, blah, blah.
0: i'm not a doctor people this isn't advice i don't know it's a podcast see you next week